Good morning. Happy Trinity Sunday. Don't hear that very often. They're building houses behind our neighborhood, lots of them, a couple thousand probably. Every morning I hear the big machinery. Some of them are plows and some are, uh, you know, the big uh, bulldozers and the big backhoes and dump trucks. You know what a dump truck sounds like when it's backing up? Beep, beep, beep. So do all of the other machinery. I feel like I ought to say that right now at the beginning of this sermon. Beep, beep. Because I am about to back up and dump a lot of great <laughs> theology on you, which is kind of my, maybe my reputation, but it's, there's a lot with this little passage. It's a little passage for our meditation that in, in uh, about three different kinds of churches, people hear it often at the end of church, and the Lutheran church is one of them, because when Martin Luther set out to write the liturgy that's still kind of the parent of our, our order of worship 500 plus years ago, he added this number six to the end of the services that he wrote, every one of them. It's in Numbers chapter six, so let's start dumping the truck. Raising it up. Numbers is where in the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fourth book of the Bible. You're in the early history of God's people that are called in that place in the Bible, the children of Israel. Israel was the grandson of um, Abraham, right? So... The children of Israel were brought out of captivity. What was the country that had had them in captivity? Remember? Egypt. And they were brought out and they crossed the Red Sea and they went down to a mountain which had an S at the beginning of the name of the mountain was Mount Sinai. And Moses went up on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments, all the other cultural ceremonial laws, civil laws uh, for and the dietary laws for Israel, and he brought them down, and they accepted them, and they became God's people. While they were there at Sinai, that God said, okay, it's time to start moving up to take over the promised land that Abraham had once left. And they, they went up, and they were numbered by God, and all their numbers were, were, were counted, a census, and then they moved up to take the land, and they got scared, and they didn't trust God, so then they had to wander in the wilderness. How long? 40 years until everybody over 20 years old that had left Egypt had died. And they're right at the beginning of wandering, really. And God is telling them a lot of, in numbers about a lot of laws. And the latest in the book is the Nazarite law. You don't need to know about that. But here, out of nowhere in the book, and that's the way sometimes Moses writes, he puts this out of chronology. It's, it's kind of asynchronous with anything he puts this this moment where God said to Moses what we have here and if you will because I'm backing up the dump truck have the folder open watch the screens and maybe have a pen there's some in the pews on the top of the Bibles you might want to take a note here or there um, and be on page six of the folder so here I'm just gonna gonna uh, in a moment I'm gonna read it to you but I have, an, I have an illustration about the value of this blessing. It's called the blessing he gave to Aaron or the Aaronic blessing today. Okay, so if I could just take a breath. Back of the dump truck has stopped for a moment. <laughs> I got something in my hand. Can you see it? 
It's a college ring. Steve let me borrow it. Now you know who Steve Boldrack is. What is this ring? We call it an Aggie ring. All the T-sips are going, why didn't you get a T-sip ring? No, they wouldn't say T-sip. Aggie ring. There's a lot of mystique that the, the successfully marketing plan by Texas A&M has built around the Aggie ring for many, many decades. Most of you know this, but somebody here doesn't. Did you know they got a ring that's like as twice as tall as I am that you can take your picture inside of the ring as you get your Aggie ring? And you don't just go there and grab your ring because you ordered it in your junior year. You, somebody who has, is an Aggie goes with you and they, I don't know what you say, Steve, maybe you could tell us, but there's some little Aggie saying nowadays that you say. I've watched my son do it to his little brother and uh, it's, it's almost like secular spiritualism when you see it. It's, uh, there's mystique around. In fact, I went, in my undergrad, I went to East Texas State University. It's a land-grant college. All land-grant colleges are attached to the agricultural college that, that in that state that they are part of. So 20 years ago, you know, give or take a year, uh, all of the state colleges changed their names to Texas A&M at, right? And so I get this, I get this uh, brochure for alumni from East Texas State that says, Frequently asked questions and the frequently asked one of the frequently asked questions was now. Can I have an Aggie ring? Because <laughs> there's so much mystique about this and I'll, I'll add you a little bit why what it is because a couple of you Maybe are uninformed, but so I because and they read my mind. I was thinking I can get an Aggie ring You know what the answer was? No You didn't go to the main campus. You don't get an Aggie ring only people that care about Aggie rings would stomp, right? Um, other colleges, I mean, it's, their graduation ring's important, but this one's like, this is part of this secular cult. I mean, if you see this ring on someone's hand, Nelson, they, they are, don't cheat, lie, or steal, right? And they are trustworthy, and you might give each other a job. Um, nothing wrong with that. I'm not bringing it up. I'm actually, to say something's wrong with it, I'm bringing it up to, because it is a fantastic symbol of the power of identity. And it's, and it's something most of us have experienced, whether you've gone there or not. And half my kids did and half didn't. Put it back in my pocket. I won't lose it, Steve, I promise. Unless you just want to give it to me. You could no. <laughs> give me in a lot of places. Uh, We all, including Aggies, have something better than an Aggie ring. So there's no need to stomp. <laughs> it's not a, a ring on your finger. It's a word in the blessing called the ironic blessing. A lot of people don't realize this, but if you look at the last line of our little reading, God was intending it to be something more than just one of those things you hear. This is kind of supposed to be something you embrace as a blessing. The word blessing means to give a gift in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament. So God is actually, through the words, giving you a gift of a new identity that you're supposed to treasure and value. As the words themselves are 
the ring from God that identifies you. Okay, let me show you what I mean. I'm not just exaggerating this as a preacher. Look at the last line of the reading. Okay, and I know this isn't, leave the slides where they are, okay? Because I know I'm a little off that, but that's what's new, right? So, verse 27. So after you say this blessing, the priests will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Before you leave the assembly, say this blessing, put my name on them. This idea of putting his name on us is an, as ownership as a family member. You see, in their day, and it's kind of still true today in, in the world, but it was more true, more locally, it seemed, for the Israelites. Everyone seemed to have their own God. The, the Egyptians had several, but Ra was their most popular. And they had been taken out of Egypt. When God brought these people out uh, uh, into the wilderness, he said, I am who I am, Yahweh. I am the Savior God. I am getting you from Egypt. I am your God and you are my people. That was all part of the ceremony when Moses did that in Exodus 24. So here in Numbers, he says, take my name, the family name, Yahweh's family, God's family. We, we use the word Jehovah for Yahweh or, or Jesus is a form of that too. So put my name on my people and own them. And they know that I'm a member of God's family. I got the ring. So Christians will ask each other, do you have faith? You know, they meet somebody new. Do you have faith in Jesus? Do you believe in him? And then we know they're named as a Christian, a Christian, a member of God's family. Okay, so what is this on the screen you see? It's the oldest found Hebrew inscription from the Bible. It was found in 1979 in a, in a grave. You know, Jesus was buried in a cave, a man-made cave. It was found in one of those man-made caves in Jerusalem, just south of the temple, okay? And they found they, a little boy was, was around the construction site, and he, he was poking around, as boys do, in holes in the ground, and he found a caved-in room, and he went and got the adults, and they came in and found some of these things and this was the best one and it's it's called an amulet an amulet is a a good luck charm it's a something you'd wear on your neck or on your wrist or put it in your pocket uh it's it's a lot like we wear crosses but but a little bit more than that it's like the charm itself is supposed to give you a blessing or protection and you know what's printed in Hebrew? It's, this is a, they think this was made in 600 B.C., before Christ. What's on there is this text from Numbers. It's this text, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord lift up his face on you and get, turn it toward you and give you peace. That's what's on this amulet. Before we, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do now in dumping the truck is I'm going to talk about those three phrases for you. Because it's Trinity Sunday, this was chosen as an Old Testament example of a triparted, triparted blessing that represents the Trinity. And because I want from forevermore, when you're at church and you hear the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, and the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, I want you to appreciate what you have in that blessing. 
It's what you get to have and be between Sundays. Because as you're leaving church, the minister says, he puts his God's name on you, and it helps you to have that identity only though if you're paying attention and receiving it by faith that way. Otherwise, it has little effect, does it? Because it's only by faith that you receive that, that blessing. So, let's talk about the parts. The Lord bless you and keep you. Every part, the set, every three of these three parts, every second half explains the first half. So the Lord blesses you by keeping you. The word for keep is a word for barb. It's like for the point of a spear. And everything in Hebrew is concrete. All the words have kind of a, a concrete picture to them. The idea of the barb or the keeping is of the, the ancient barbed wire. Do you know what it was? Thorn bushes. The shepherds would grab branches and thorny ones were the best and they'd pile them up in a big circle with an opening on one end and that was their corral. They didn't have modern equipment to make barbed wire. So they would do this and the, the prickly thorns would keep out the predators at night and keep in the sheep and goats. The Lord bless you and keep you. Keep you in the corral and keep you safe from the evils of this world and the harm that comes to your life, but also to keep you safe from leaving. Right? Barbed wire keeps things in and keeps things out. It's the, it's the keeping that God does to keep you in the faith by sometimes even confronting us and, and reminding us of his love, but it's also the way he keeps others out. A good picture, better than thorny bushes around goats and sheep that we don't do, is a mother's love. Father's love is, is almost exactly the same. But for a minute, let's just talk about a mother's love, the mama she-bear syndrome, right? Um, once you have that baby, you'll even... <sighs> Dress down your husband if you think the baby's harm is at stake, you know. Did you, what, did you, Mary used to say, what did you feed them when she was out of town for a couple of days? Like that, you know. Like, yeah, green beans out of a can and hot dogs. They have fast food for that, Mary? It's that, that, that protection. God uses it to describe his keeping of you and me. Isaiah 49, 15, you, you ought to make it a favorite passage. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast or, or the baby that came from her womb? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved your name on the palm of my hand. Your walls, O Jerusalem, are always in front of me. I'm always watching them. The Lord, as you leave the house of God, the Lord bless you and keep you. And you have to know that when I hear that, I think, yeah, but there's these exceptions like when I had a, a car wreck or I got, had a heart attack or my dad died. I thought he was supposed to keep us. He's keeping us until he takes us to the place where he keeps us forever. And in the meantime, Romans 8 says he's working out even in all the troubles of this life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans 8 He's keeping us, working out everything for our good. 
So you've got to expand your understanding of what it means to keep a person in a sinful world and a person that's passing away anyway to protect that soul for eternal life. The Lord will bless you and keep you. But here's the thing. Don't leave the assembly, God says to the Israelites, and today he says to you, dear Christian, don't leave church on any Sunday thinking that between Sundays he's not as much out there as he is in here. <laughs> he's with you and keeping you everywhere. He's a mother with her baby. Right? Once you have the baby, you can never not love that person and protect them. Let's go to the next phrase. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. See the concrete nature of the Hebrew? Make his face shine. Okay? The idea is that the face brightens up and smiles when it sees you. This is a gracious disposition to make you always want to forgive first instead of judge. That's what the favor is, the grace is. The Lord, the, God says, when they're about to leave the assembly, tell them, Yahweh God, Yahweh God's face will shine on you out there in the streets. God is preparing us for the moments when we are blaming ourselves for our sins and down on ourselves because we know we're such a failure. Right? Every single one of us has God's law written in our heart. And when we're honest with ourselves and with God and others, we all sense a sense of failure in everything that we are and do. We all have it. We are spiritually alive if we allow it and acknowledge it and don't repress it and don't try to deny it or blame it. But you can see our spiritual illness in the way that we do blame and we do deny and we do all avoid and we do excuse and we do try to say certain certain things about us that we know the bible says are sinful we really they're really not when we do all that we're not believing that the cure is the grace of god not all of our reaction formations and god just wants you to know i got this i took care of it I remember looking to the eyes of a man who felt so shamed by his sin and just saying, you know, Jesus got over that 2,000 years ago and the tears just began to flow. He just needed to say, somebody to tell him today. The Lord has already forgiven the sin. So he knows when you leave the assembly this week, you're going to get, you're going to sin. But his kindness and his goodness is that his face is shining towards you. What mother and dad doesn't give their child a tremendous amount of love and forgiveness that nobody else will be willing to give them? The Lord make his face shine on you. Ernest Hemingway, in the introduction to one of his short stories, told about, he said, Madrid, Madrid Spain has a lot of Pacos. And he tells a story about a Paco that was a waiter, waiter. But he said, Madrid even has this joking story about a, a man who his son was estranged from him because he had, he had hurt his father so much. His father put an ad in the paper way back before internet, right? Put an ad in the paper saying, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the so-and-so hotel and, and uh, I want to be reunited with you. And the hotel had to hire extra police to take care of the 800 Pacos that showed up. 
every Paco knew he needed, had a, of those 800 had a father that he wanted to be reunited with if he heard it was all forgiven. When the Lord says the Lord bless you and, and, turn, and make his face shine and be gracious to you, that is the, the um, commodity, that is the brokerage, that is the, the money between you and God is his grace and mercy. It's not the law, it's not your performance, it's not your religion, it's not your attitude, it's not your track record, it's grace. And if you want an expansion of this, Psalm 103, I'm dumping the truck, Psalm 103, take that, put it in your pocket, go home and read it. It's beautiful about his grace and mercy as a father is toward their children. And it's all about, all capital letters, Lord, Yahweh, putting his name on his family. The Lord have mercy on you. Gracious to you. What a great way to leave church. Romans 2, Paul says, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the, it's the ad in the paper in Madrid. Let's go to the next one. The third part of the blessing, the Lord turn his face. There's that word face again. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Yeah, God, can, God uses the word face for anger. He uses it for grace, and he also uses it for peace. Because for God, it's all about being before his face. In fact, in Hebrew, if you're going before somebody like a judge, you go before their face in Hebrew. You don't go just before them. They see you, right? Now, they either, you know, in, in Hebrew, you're either seeing them in order to see all their sins or see them to see all their value. And this part of the blessing has to do with our future. The Lord turn his face toward you and since he owns you, you put his, he puts his name on you, he's going, you got a future with me. You always have a future with me. One of those feelings you get, and the devil hounds it in your ears when you realize you've sinned, is that you may have wrecked all your future with God. You might even think, I know he forgives me, but I'm still going to always be his stepchild after what I've done. <laughs> Not true. Even in consequences, there is blessing. And so often, this is the part that got Jonah angry. I'm dumping the truck. Jonah got angry because he knew how gracious God would be toward the Ninevites and give them a future. And sometimes as a Christian, I'm embarrassed at myself because I don't want him to forgive that person and give them a great future after what they did to hurt me. Oh, I know you have those feelings sometimes too. He's that gracious with everybody that he can actually use your own sin to bless you. That's why you just got to be like Caleb was saying with the ice melting to water. It's like, I don't understand God. He's the, he's the gracious God to give us a future. I have an illustration for that. Preachers have them for everything, you know. I was sixth grade. My favorite class in sixth grade was PE. Go figure. We had a, a, a vivacious, probably 30-year-old woman, married woman with all of us kids, but she was, she was way into the kids where the other teachers were tired and, and more disciplinary. And we probably wore this PE teacher out because we thought it was more like big playtime, but she was, she was fun and she was, in, she was into all the kids and she cared about their success and we knew her love and it was unconditional. And she got us to get into the I, we hadn't done that before into the city track meet of all the elementary schools, right? Sixth grade's the highest level back then at my elementary schools. The 
for last year to have sixth grade in elementary, then they moved it to middle school. I've never been a great athlete. I know that's no news flash. But I, I, until I was in ninth grade, I wanted to be and thought I was. <laughs> so I entered in like the 440. That's a long track for a sixth grader. She said, you better pace yourself. Okay, I will. We all lined up, six or eight of us. You know how they, when you get to the longer race, then they spread you out. You're not straight across like the 100 yard dash, but you're staggered. I was way out in front, I thought. And the gun went off and the adrenaline hit. So I ran as fast as I could for about 100 yards. And then I started to slow down. And then, okay, this big kid passes me. I'll come in second. Oh, uh, maybe I'll take third. <laughs> maybe it'll be fourth. Oh, well, I won't get a ribbon, but I'll, I won't be the last guy. Oh, I think I'm going to be last. I was so far in last place, I wanted to run behind the bleachers instead of go to the finish line in front of the bleachers. I was so embarrassed. I was way behind. I looked up in the stand, and there she was, and uh, I disappointed her, I thought, you know, because I didn't do what she said, and I didn't perform very well anyway. And there she was, smiling, clapping, and encouraging me, and nobody else was. And she was going, you better finish! Finish strong! And I knew that I was going to have a relationship, the same one I had. I knew I was going to have friendship. I knew I was going to have her as my teacher, and I knew I had her on my team, even though I wasn't a very good team member. I knew that unconditional acceptance from the way that she treated my failure. And I still had a future as her student. You get what I'm saying about this blessing? That's God with you every day. He loves you. He got it settled on the cross. You have a future with him. And so whatever you're going through, whatever failures, you are going to be with him right up into heaven. And if you know it's all going to end with you seeing him as he is forever in heaven because of his mercy and grace, that gives you peace. Because peace is the calm assurance that everything's going to be okay. And that's what you crave. And that's what you need. And the, sor the, res the source of all true spirituality is a peace that God gives by grace, not by um, acceptance and tolerance, but by grace through His Son. And now you know the Trinity. The Father gave the Son, and the Son gave His life, and the Spirit is now giving that message to all of us, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are revealed to us in order to give us the gospel the good news, which is the barakah, the blessing of Aaron, now in full fulfillment in the life of the church through Jesus Christ. It is very appropriate now that Christians have taken the blessing from the Old Testament and made it their own. You could go to that next slide, please. He says, I've read this already to you, but he says, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Jews today who do not have faith in Jesus Christ see the ironic blessing as their Aggie ring, their identity. 
when you see the, the where, where's the place on the planet where the most, uh, the, the, the most important place to a Jew in their mind? It's the Temple Mount, right? What's left for a Jew right now of the Temple Mount? The Western Wall, right? And it has a nickname. It's called the Wailing Wall because they're still crying that they don't get to have their temple on their Temple Mount because there is a Islamic, an Islamic mosque because they own, it, own the Mount proper. So out in front of that Western Wall, every year at se several high feast time, especially Passover, Pre, every, every Jewish male that feels like he can prove that he has some kind of biological connection to Aaron the priesthood, they'll show up as the Aaronic priesthood and they will sing songs of the, the Aaronic blessing and the other Jews that, that are the, of this kind of Jewish denomination will come and, and they want that blessing audibly from the priesthood because of this verse to fall on them. And many Jews will buy amulets today with those, that blessing on it because they also feel like that's giving them a special blessing. And it's also part of some daily prayers and some other ceremonial prayers. This blessing is their Aggie ring. But it's void of the Christ. But for you, it's not. It's not void of the Christ because the Christ came and fulfilled all of this. And so now when you, I just preached it as a Christian pastor to show you what it means. You're going to be able to see what Jesus was doing when he used the tones of the Aaronic blessing in Matthew 28 that you heard read up here. But it's the baptismal formula that he said to say when you baptize people and you got to see it. And we don't have a baptism every Sunday. You got to see it in the baptism. Do you remember what it is? Remember when Chad had that shell? Go to, go to the next slide. Matthew 28. This is Jesus right before he ascended into heaven. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the what? Name. That's not the way we normally talk. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because they have given us salvation, the fulfillment of all the history and all the passages and all the plan of God for all people to be culminated in this man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God, to be our Savior. So baptism is God putting his name on a person and adopting them into his family. There was a couple that had uh, started the adoption process and halfway through the adoption process, miraculous to them, they were able to conceive a child, a little, and, and they found out it was going to be a boy. Right before that, their own biological boy was to be born, they heard from the adoption agency that if they were still willing that they had a boy, a baby boy ready for placement. But now they had a, they said yes, and they had a birth son and a, an adopted son who happened to have features that looked a lot like the, both of mom and dad, their, their adoptive parents. They made a decision that they would raise the boys equally since they had accepted one from heaven and one through God's servants, the adoption agency, and they would not tell the boys which one was adopted. 
And the little boys asked as they were growing up, come on, Dad, which one of us is adopted? And the father would always say, what difference does it make if we, if we ha both of you bear our name, both of you are in our family, and we're going to be with each other the rest of our lives, and if you hang on to our Savior, you'll be in heaven forever. What difference does it make? We don't know. When you can tell me the difference that it will make, I'll consider, I'll consider telling you. They went their whole lives without knowing. I guess if they went and did a DNA and Ancestry.com, <laughs> they could. But they, well, by that time, they had matured to their parents' faith. Didn't need to know. You are that adopted child, though. And you are equal to Jesus. The only begotten Son has won for you the adoption. And you are the adopted child with Jesus. And you know what God says about you? There is no difference between you and Jesus. I love you and I own you just the same. That's called the gospel. Amen.